0: This is Jacobin Radio. I'm Susie Wiseman. On today's show, we spend the hour with economic historian Robert Brenner. To get his understanding of this strange economic moment. What makes it strange? The latest jobs report shows strong job growth, but inflation is hitting hard on already tight budgets for working people, while company profits, especially in the energy sector, are soaring. Despite wage increases, workers' wages overall are still lagging, but CEO pay is skyrocketing. In response, the Fed has enacted its second consecutive three-quarter percentage point interest rate increase, its most aggressive push in three decades to dampen demand and slow down the economy. Are they trying to induce a mild recession, avoid one, or just what? We ask Robert Brenner to explain the driver's this inflationary period and to assess the Fed's response as well as the general state of the economy, which he has argued is weak. We'll get his analysis when our program returns in just a moment. This is Jacobin Radio. I'm Susie Wiseman. We're very fortunate to have Robert Brenner back with us to try to get an understanding of this economic moment. Inflation is dampened spending. The economy is shrinking, and many call it shaky. Yet profits are strong and soaring in the energy sector, in part because of Russia's war on Ukraine. And job growth continues. Wages are up, but still lagging, and the Fed is raising in rates to curb inflation. Will the Fed manage to walk the tightrope between slowing demand and causing a recession? The moment is unique because of the pandemic, supply chain blockages and shortages, and Russia's war wreaking havoc on the world economy. We're going to get Robert Brenner's view. And Robert Brenner should be known to all of you by now. He's a professor of history emeritus at UCLA and the author of many books, including The Economics of Global Turbulence, The Boom and the Bubble, The Brenner Debates, and Merchants and Revolution. His analysis of the CARES Act bailout, which we discussed right here, appeared in New Left review 123, and it was called Escalating Plunder. And of course, last but not least, Robert Brenner is also the executive producer of this program. So, Robert Brenner, welcome back.
1: Uh, good to be here, Susie. Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: So I think we need to begin with the moment worldwide, we have this sudden wave of inflation, which is worse in Europe than it is in the United States. And this has led, as I said in the introduction, to the Fed raising interest rates. That's the tool that they use to curb or slay the inflation dragon. And we have to say that they've been on the lookout for this inflation for a long time. Many economists, including uh, Paul Krugman, who had frequently criticized the Fed and other economists for always citing inflation as the reason for everything when there was none. Now he admits he was wrong about this inflation. He said this time inflation was due to energy prices, supply chain bottlenecks, the Russia-Ukraine war, and the CARES package finally helping workers meet expenses and have money to save. So I think we need to begin with a discussion and a description of the inflationary trend. When did it start? What has it entailed? What caused this trend? And as you describe it, you know, and I have described it, it's a sudden and major inflationary thrust. So what happened with regard to prices that evidences this inflationary moment?
1: Well, for the last at least a decade leading into 2020-2021, we had very little in the way of price pressure. We had a long expansion, cyclical expansion, not a tremendously powerful one, but one that was sustained for a decade. And as a result, uh, what we had in it was demand was met by supply. And as a result, prices rose very moderately. There was no inflationary problem whatsoever. We had not a very strong economy, but one that, you know, turned over and went along bit by bit. But the way the problem is posing itself, in the first instance, without even asking about the whys, is the empirical fact that after essentially a long period of price rises, of a very minimal sort, 1.7% a year on average over a decade into 2019 and 2020. Suddenly, in 2020, we have, remember, that's the year of the pandemic and the first year of crisis, so to speak. And in that year, in keeping with the low-pressure economy, there's be very little in the way of price pressure. a year. But in 2021 and 2022, we have the break that we need to explain. In 2021 and 2022, you have price rises of suddenly 7% in 2021, 9% in the first half of 2022. So what we're talking about is an explosion an explosion of prices. That is the subject of our discussion today.
0: Well, let me just ask you, because you've just gone over, you know, we all know that you had the pandemic, which created dislocations in the economy worldwide, but it also produced some kind of strange aspects of it as well. So you've got some pent up worldwide demand throughout this pandemic, but at the same time, because the economy, you know, essentially first stopped and then came back to a certain degree, you have shortages of goods and services in respect to what that demand is. So it seems like There's some imbalance there. And then, of course, on top of that, the war in Ukraine. And I think there's several other aspects that I'd love to hear you talk about. But let's just talk about that right now, because I think let me just put it this way. You certainly get the case of all of in this country, the Republicans who did not want this generous care package and then said that it was creating lazy workers because they were getting paid to stay home. And how would we get them back to work and all of that? Could you, in going over this inflationary surge, discuss the argument that the reason that we have in all of these issues, that there's a, why is there a shortage of uh, goods and supplies? Because workers are no longer, have no incentive to work when they're getting government subsidies with their rent and, you know, the CARES package. And even though that is now ended and workers have gone back and there's still a shortage, we should never forget that a million died here in the United States, many of them are getting, you know, wage hikes. So how does that all fit in together with inflation and what is your view of that argument?
1: Yeah, we're kind of slowly honing in on the point, but we're not getting there 100% yet, but in uh, 2020, the year of the pandemic and huge government intervention which meant a, a slowdown in, in the economy, but from that point on, you get, with the Fed stimulating the economy, you do begin to get, as one would expect, a certain expansion. The pandemic is being brought under control. And as a result, the economy, which was essentially stopped in place to deal with the pandemic. Now we have the vaccine, uh, the pandemic is uh, coming under control, and uh, the Fed is allowing the economy again to take off, which it kind of does in 2021 and 2022. But I think what has to be said is that although the Fed is – Intervening to raise demand, the point is that the response of the economy, the response of output in terms of demand is very restrained. Why? Because we have a series of what you could call specific, discrete issues on the supply side. The demand is rising, but what is characterizing the economy is the inability of supply to respond to demand. What is going on? First, you have the the COVID-19 crisis, which is disrupting production up and down the supply chain, so to speak, the various supply chains. Second, you have a problem in that at the heart of this issue of supply responding to demand is that labor is forthcoming only hesitantly and slowly. We know that the labor force has, for the longest time, has been uncertain about the advisability of going back to work. They've wanted to stay home to work or if necessary, they've even been willing not to work in order to avoid the pandemic. So point here again, is now we're specifying it somewhat more, is that you have this demand, which is the way the economies get driven, of course, increased demand, but we are able to see the problem In that, despite the increase in demand, in one after another area, supply does not meet it. And up till now, this has been where the problem, where the rubber has hit the road, the lack of supply compared to demand has meant that the way the demand has been felt is instead of rising output, It's in terms of rising prices. So our listeners know this intuitively, but they should see in a very explicit and clear way that what we're talking about, what we're talking about inflation in this case, it's an issue of the failure of output to meet demand 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 is there the economy should be turning over but there are particular issues that are preventing output from you know realizing itself so anybody any normal person not a fed economist would see that the problem is that there's not enough output we need more not less. But that is not the way the Fed has responded to it. We need more in that we need to have more because people need more. And if we get more in relation to demand, the price problem will begin to be alleviated.
0: I'm really glad you brought that up, Robert Brenner, because it, it does actually answer partially the question, but also raises others. And that is that, you know, this issue of shortage of output, in other words, that People stayed home. As you said, many did not go back. Worldwide, we've lost more than 6 million people. These are people producing. And what we've heard a lot of is there's a chip shortage. There's a supply chain blockage that, you know, here at the Port of Los Angeles, ships could not get their containers unloaded. There was a big clog. And so for very many reasons, um, this led to shortage of supply. And then it also led, of course, somewhat to price rises. And so one of the questions would be whether or not this is is pandemic and let's say pandemic related or were there some obvious, was this the trajectory from recent years and how much flowed from these sort of extra economic factors like the COVID supply chain problem, maybe Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And I just wanted to say too, because the Fed, and I'm, we're going to get into what they're doing about it, but they assume that price increases are being driven by wage increases, the so called wage price inflation. And so the question is whether or not that is really the case. You've just explained that it's something else. And I think this really is important in terms of our overall understanding of what's driving the inflation.
1: Right. So, I mean, this is exactly where, in my opinion, you know, the Fed goes uh, far off the rails. What we have is a situation in which inflation is the problem, right, that you could then say, if we can understand what is the cause of the inflation, then we can improve the health of the economy in the particular way that is manifested in overcoming that inflation the inflation would be alleviated and as a part and parcel of the same development the economy is getting stronger am i being at all clear about this that yeah, is, that I is think... you could have it's a continuation of the the point before which is that the inflation has to be understood as a insufficiency of production. So what that means is, to make the economy work, we need to overcome that insufficiency of production. We need more output, more employment, and so forth. But the Fed, what is the Fed doing? The Fed is taking a very different tab.
0: But So this is really, I guess, this leads us right into what the Fed is doing. And I don't know if you wanted to say anything more about, you know, why the issue of inflation is so central. Um, but I think that you've answered it pretty well. So now we're looking at what the Fed is doing. And this is about interest rates, right?
1: Well, wait, wait, but maybe you want, I mean, we don't necessarily have to deal with this. But I think from what you said, we should, because the when people hear about inflation, they think about it in terms of prices, you know, rising prices means that there's not enough supply compared to demand. So the Fed is going about this by directly speaking to the question of prices. How is it doing that? If Our listeners will think about it in this very perverse way of solving the problem of the economy, meaning the inflationary problem, by slowing the economy down, by making the economy work worse. So we can have an initial idea that it isn't certainly not self-evident that if our problem is being dealt with by slowing the economy down, bringing about rising unemployment, slower output, in other words, lower standard of living, we have to be thinking whether this is the what we want to be doing to bring about, you know, to improve the, the economic situation. So there are two ways to deal with inflation. And the Fed is dealing with, one way, and we're implying that it has to be dealt with in the opposite way.
0: Well, let's just go back into what the Fed is doing. And then I also want to raise along with that, because you've raised this question about rising demand and slowing supply, let's say. And a lot of it, too, is that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there's been a complaint from the right, you know, that workers are winning higher wages And that that's really what's driving the price rises. And I think I'd like you to to answer that. But let's just say what the Fed is doing. So the Fed has enacted its second consecutive three-quarter percentage point interest rate, which is the most aggressive that they've done in three decades. And they're doing it, they say, to curb inflation by dampening demand and slowing down the economy. And it raises all kinds of questions that you started Robert Brenner to deal about whether or not, you know, this action by the Fed, which is literally, you know, their toolbox about how they do this, how they dampen the economy. We've seen it before. We have, you know, the Volcker shocks uh, decades back and we know what happened there. And so I guess the question then is this based on their analysis of the problem and the well-tested solutions that they've been using historically? And does it push the economy into really dangerous territory? Can they literally walk the tightrope? In other words, to try to curb inflation without to bring it under control without causing a recession? And I can think of you know some mainstream economists will say, well, of course, gas prices are coming down. So, what's your thought on that?
1: Uh, my first thought is that it has never been accomplished. I mean, this little empirical fact. That to get inflation under control, the economists say, or the Fed says, what we need to do is reduce demand, slow the economy down, and we will both keep the economy turning over, but also reduce the pressure on prices so we'll get in- inflation under control. But uh, this is obviously, uh, again, we're back to Where I was, and probably will keep coming back to, is that we're to solve the problem of inflation, we're killing the economy. And what we need, in other words, we're slowing down the economy to take the pressure off the economy, to take the pressure off prices, and we're defeating inflation, but we're also defeating production. So if you think about it, unless there is a truly clear cut evidence that nothing can be done to keep the economy going and at the same time fight inflation. This has got to be the worst means of fighting inflation because it solves the problem of inflation by cutting out the good, the bottom line good that we need, which is the the reason what we're having the inflation. Of course, if we don't need that good, if we don't need that output, then. Inflation is no problem, but unfortunately, that's what the uh, working people of the society depend on: output and employment. And that is the opposite of the Fed's method here, because you can see, of course, that this has a further kick to it, which is that it will have the very intended result of reducing quote costs, my e reducing uh, wages to working people so that they're going to get the economy going by building it on a weaker foundation.
0: So I really want you to go just a little bit more into that, Robert Brenner, because essentially what you're saying is what seems logical, too, that by raising interest rates, they, it will likely lead to a recession, and that will create massive unemployment and be especially harmful to the people who are most vulnerable to the downturn in the economy, the same people who are struggling the most, you know, from these rising prices. And then, and the, the real question is whether this actually gets to any of the drivers, you know, of what you earlier began to describe in terms of inflation. And it raises the question of whether, you know, wage price inflation is a reality. Price rises are pushing down growth of real wages, and it's wiping out the gains that have been made in this pandemic, I think. Maybe that, that should be the question, because most people think that these rises in minimum wage, the fact that you've had fast food and Amazon and others raising to $15 and then lots of strikes and other things and unionization, we'll get to all of that, but that somehow workers' wages are then keeping pace with the prices but you know i think other economists have said well no they're lagging behind inflation and nobody asks about the other side of it where ceo pay is skyrocketing so what is your view on all of that and can you explain it
1: yeah i mean i think you've kind of explained it implicitly uh you've given away the <laughs> the punchline uh, punch exactly <laughs> because what you have said is that the problem is which the Fed is talking about rising prices is the result of rising costs of production. How could that be? Well, the implication is that the rising costs of production are coming from a workers' wages. And therefore, the key to solving this problem is, again, slowing down the economy, uh, making for unemployment, uh, making for a backtracking of demand, and getting uh, that uh, cost under control. The only problem with this, as you uh, rightly said, is that as we look, this is where the rubber should hit the road from the standpoint of economic orthodoxy, from the standpoint of the Fed, from the standpoint of the economists of the world, mainstream economists, I should say. But it's quite clear that this is anything but the problem since the wages, what the uh, economists are telling us are, you know, costs are just too high. We have to, we have to cut back. We can't have the economy going and moving in, in this way, but quite Clearly, what we have is a situation where wages, real wages, are falling under the pressure of it, of inflation. And the way that the Fed is meeting this problem is to slow down, is to slow the economy, which is essentially accepting the problem as it is.
0: I need to ask you several I'm questions clear, about that. that. that clear. Uh- they yes didn't. that that's very clear but I think what you're kind of showing and I think you you said before there was the insufficiency of in, insufficiencies of the problem and that was with regard to the lack of output but now what we're seeing is the insufficiencies or inadequacies of the fed's tool to combat the problem on the other hand the political solution exactly. Exactly. the political solution that you know might have been done let's say that was done in traditional keynesian you know manner which was to create jobs to uh you know to spend 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 and uh, and that way urge on growth and get past perhaps the supply chain shortages and and i think this is a particularly uh, unique moment because we've lost so many people to the pandemic and so many more are frightened of going back into the conditions that might make them sick and they too will die. And so you have, you know, shortages due to a number of factors that are outside of the normal in terms of supply, but you still have demand, even though that's being dampened. And so it just seems like whatever the Fred is doing, it's not, it's not the right tool. And I was just starting to say, you also have in the United States, a divided Senate. And so the build back better package, which would have been the traditional response, was defeated. And now we have a second version of it that gets to part of it. But, you know, so given those conditions, we always sort of hand it off to the Fed to use their, they couldn't use quantitative easing. So now they'll raise interest rates. But but do they ever get to the problem?
1: Well, I mean, this is where a little history uh, might be of uh, used to people in that it was after the after the Keynesian Revolution, 30s, 40s. Uh, that is the the theoretical breakthroughs and the use of macro, uh, so to speak, macroeconomic management to essentially uh, guide demand vis-a-vis supply. Bit by bit, there has been a political revolution or effectively what was understood to be the problem you know basically in the 30s and in the post-war period is that you need to create more demand by creating more supply and what you have is the you know well well understood fiscal policy which is to have a budget deficits that will add to the to the output by adding to the demand in the in the society and it you know that was for long taken you know understood to be the way to go but it has this little problem from the standpoint of the of capitalists which is that it Yields demand for labor, which leads to greater price of labor and greater costs. So the, the uh, effectively, we've lost, very much lost that fiscal expansionary policy, and we're now thrown back on this very narrow terrain of interest rates, which clearly, if you think about it, either, you know, if they, they can be raised, which will slow down the economy, and it's true that if they are lowered, there is a possibility of increasing demand but that you know remains to be seen it becomes a easier but far from a given that just because interest rates are are down you will get production to effectively respond to a lower interest rates
0: well let me ask you this given that you know we've laid out that there's a lot of unique circumstances because the whole world economy stopped and then started And you have at the same time now, as we've said, pressure from workers, either in, you know, through the beginnings of some pretty astonishing unionization drives or, you know, just from demanding wages and having popular support for getting them. And then we have this inflationary spiral. And I guess you've started to say that, that this has not been a very effective tool for dealing with that. And, and I think the question is, is if raising interest rates has ever really helped engineer a soft landing from this inflationary and inflationary surge. And I think that, you know, if you were like, uh, I, I don't know, a, a mainstream economist, you might point to saying, well, the new jobs report shows that it hasn't really stopped job growth and profits are up. You know, you had Chevron and um and other and Amazon and others making record profits, so it's all good, right? Or is it? But, and why are they doing
1: this then? But I think that I think uh, the the point is that you you have had a, a quote expansion, a capitalist recovery, capitalist expansion, and it has you know for parts of the economy it has been you know understandably uh, successful. But uh, so you mentioned, you mentioned Amazon on the one hand, which is not exactly your typical company today. very it's a very profitable one. You, on the other hand, you have the p- possibilities of selling uh, raw materials, above all, like oil and gas. Uh, and if you have any sort of expansion, it's almost certain, that these will be among the first commodities or activities that are demanded and therefore have an increase in uh, demand and therefore increase in prices and therefore increases in output and profitability. But you have what you have just described is a situation that is not adequately – characterized in that way because so much of the economy is not taking off so much of the economy is not expanding and so the it is really a kind of uh, criminal i don't think that word is too strong it is criminal for the fed to respond when you have the, a problem of really insufficient supply which is why there is uh in, inflation and as we have the the demand of the economy the the economy is coming back the economy is making demands the demand is outrunning supply but in a capitalist economy that's to be expected and you do that for you do that for a while or you do it more and you'll get uh, you know, uh, ultimately, a greater supply, and greater employment, and greater wages, and greater profits, and all of that. Uh, but instead, the second that the Fed sees rising prices, what it does is say, "No, we're going to, we're going to back off of this," and we're getting, you know, what I think we we started out, which is this uh, that what the Fed is doing now, is incomprehensibly, is actually raising interest rates to kill the economy in order to save it. I, I keep using that, that phrase or some um, equivalent, because that's what people should be seeing as the underlying logic of the Fed response, which is to say, effectively... Uh, let's just uh call the economy off a little bit to sa- solve its problems rather than solve its problems by adding to its ability to produce, adding more uh demand if it if not from uh workers' wages immediately through through public spending, etc.
0: Well, I'm really glad that you um, mentioned that because you know. If you look at, let's say the Twitter feeds of various, uh, economists, they'll say, well, actually we do need to cool the economy because it's over hot, you know, and they'll even point to the rise in employment and the record profits in these sectors that you just mentioned as signs of that. So I guess it goes back to this wage price kind of spiral. Even if, you know, we have these exogenous factors like the pandemic and the war in Ukraine and all of the, you know, even the, uh, um, Contraction of the labor market because you had people dying you know from uh, from the pandemic or not being able to work in the c- traditional you know ways and you also this problem is not just the United States at all it's also in Europe and it's also in china and I guess you we don't really have time to go into what they're doing about it, but you're making a very strong case that what the u s is doing, even if it's starting to ha- even if it does have some ex- success is not really going to address the real problem. And I think one way of thinking about that is that we're seeing now, you know, gas prices always go up in the summer, but now we have the war in Ukraine and all these other factors. And so now we already have gas prices declining in the United States, but the core inflation persists. So the question I guess is what's your take on if there's any are there any monetary policies that could deal with that? And, um, and and I'm also getting from you that the risk of a severe uh, recession by using these monetary policies is probably, you know, I think you said it kills the problem. It's like uh, the wrong medicine to deal it with this. It. So it's all it leading us, Robert Brenner, to the question of what would be the right medicine. It kills
1: the patient in order to save the patient. Yeah. And so just to, so that we make sure that, this point is covered; it has been covered, uh, but the phrase "wage-price spiral" has crept back in to the economic discourse, so to speak, because it is the appropriate uh, it is the appropriate phenomenon or syndrome that would justify, perhaps justify what the Fed is doing, because it would be saying that. Effectively, there is really overheating in the economy. There's uh, all this de- demand, not an insufficient uh, supply. Even then, you need to have m- more supply to to solve that problem. But in effect, what, uh, you know, I'm repeating myself, but what you end up doing is you were talking about the wage-price spiral. Wage-price spiral. The difficulty with talking in this way is there is no wage-price spiral. That is speaking as if part of the problem is a is you know is a problem where costs are effectively interfering with capital accumulation by interfering uh, with profits. And that is something. And that is something that uh, has been the case at times in capitalist economies. It could be argued that it was something of a problem in the seventies, although I'm not sure uh, if it actually was. But it could well have been a problem in in the seventies when you have a argument that this cost push inflation was real in that wages were protected in part by unions and in part by political parties in power that wanted to keep employment up. And therefore, not only were making it, uh, you know, were, we're pursuing Keynesian policies that raised demand, raised and had the effect of, of raising costs like wages. That has been the last thing that We've seen in the current period.
0: So let's move to the question that I raised earlier that really you're leading us toward Robert Brenner, and that is, you know, what can be done? not using the monetarist policies of the Fed, which, as you've just explained, is not really addressing the drivers or what the, or the problem, but it is using a more historical, traditional method where, that has never really worked and created this soft landing. So we've had the example already of Build Back Better, which was one good solution that was washed, and now we have a new, um, what are they calling it, inflation control package. I forgot the exact name of it. But is this, you know, the kind of policy that will, or that could, um, get infl- inflation and and even the problem of supply under control? Maybe you could just address some of that part of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the you can a, a way of understanding what we're up against is that you have inflation, and you have two ways of of dealing with this. You can deal with the inflation that comes with insufficient supply vis-a-vis demand by, again, cutting back in the economy. That would be, you know, tax increases. That would be, in in terms of interest rates, that would be raising interest rates. So, it, you could solve the problem of inflation by reducing demand, reducing the growth of demand. And that, of course, is the way that is preferred by the establishment because it makes sure that among the costs that could increase if one operated in the opposite mode would be wages. But by slowing down output, you're slowing down the need for employment and you're slowing down the need for wages. The alternative would be to say that what our difficulty leading to inflation is not enough supply compared to demand and do whatever it takes to raise that supply. And that could be done um, in, in many ways, but you know, obvious ways would be to have the government enter into uh, various uh, forms of production, producing things that are needed, hiring people that don't are not hired, and so you would effectively be adding to output. Responding to you would be both creating the, a demand through the government and a response of supply through the government. And that's what we call this, you know, the state sector. And there are many parts of the state sector that we still rely on, thank goodness, education, etc. So there's nothing, despite the propaganda, there is nothing inherent in a state sector that makes it not work or be problematic. Uh, it is a problem only if you're a capitalist propagandist, in which case, uh, you, you know, the, there is a pressure even in education to privatize. But we, we know how much of the economy has been uh, privatized over the last uh, 40, 50 years.
0: And we're also seeing in healthcare sector in this bill that's just going to pass um, that finally – they will be able to negotiate Medicare prices, which will drive down the cost of health care. And this is not going to cost jobs, right?
1: No, of course. And, <laughs> it's you know, gonna
0: it's gonna be a cost on profits.
1: Yeah, and this is like, I mean, it is pretty interesting to me that Biden has been able to pretty much stick with the series of policies build back better whatever you want to you know whatever the the phrase of the day is um, but has very clear that this is what is needed but also that is going to work politically for them and you know you could see the situation and in, in, in many times in history where if the Democrats are being dependent upon to provide new services or what To meet needs that are not previously spoken to, that the market is not uh, dealing with, very often they don't get dealt with. But what we have seen, I think, to get you know to give the devil his due, so is that the Biden administration and the Democrats have done probably as well as you could expect, given that they have that there's a 50-50, you know, there's a one-vote, you know, majority margin, that right. they have, and uh, that, that includes two people who are not, can't be counted upon to provide that margin. It's an interesting phenomenon, I think, that, you know, in this period, this long neoliberal period, which we're still deeply uh, operating within, that Biden, in running for office... And in office himself, has, uh, that administration has seen the political sense of this, as well as the, so to speak, practical human sense of, of doing it.
0: We don't have as much time left as I would have wanted, Robert Brenner, but there's certain things, you know, that one thinks could be done. We have, for example, a surcharge on all automobile prices and both new and used cars are through the roof. That's um, we still make cars here in the United States, but we don't do the chips. And, you know, even Russia's responding by saying, well, they're going to try to get a chip industry going. That's a lot easier said than done. So there's you know, this is very much an international problem. And then there's also the war in Ukraine and the surging price of wheat and the shortage of wheat. And then, of course, you know, reduced flows of gas to Europe. And so there's a lot of different areas worldwide that are dealing with this situation. I wonder if just in the final question, Bob, if you think that policies here in the United States could, you know, go quite a long ways to dealing with at least some of the problem here, like on these prices. And I'm not talking about a wage price freeze, a la Nixon, but, you know, but what, what could be done?
1: Well, I think that the things that could be done would be to, in, All of them, I guess, would involve some sort of initial subsidy in the sense that the at the moment that certain things are not being produced. To get the demand to have them produced, probably the first way, the you know, the first route would be through through the state and through taxation of the rich and expenditure uh, on um, what you know the word public goods is uh, is a vague one but you know what we want is the uh, the you know as big as possible a public sector that to speak to people's needs and we know how much is not being done in this respect in the United States because although Nirvana hardly the societies we would want but if you look at even the social democratic attempts in Scandinavia say or Austria and a few other places it's quite clear that with that kind of political commitment even under capitalism even under the most constrained government nonetheless the difference between what's done in the being done in the US by the public sector and what's being done the rest of the world, or not the rest of the world, but many other places, is very stark, that difference.
0: We're going to have to leave it there, Robert Brenner, and it's, I like to say, pregnant with possibilities for many more discussions on this issue. But I want to thank you so much for explaining this in detail. What's causing this inflationary spiral or surge? What tools are being used to combat it? what their likely downsides are, as well as what could be done. And I think, you know, you've done all of those things really, really well. So I want to thank you for being with us today. Robert Brenner is an Emeritus Professor of History at UCLA. He's the author of many books, including The Economics of Global Turbulence and Boom and Bubble. Those are a couple that address some of these issues. His analysis of the CARES Act at the beginning of the pandemic uh, was discussed right here. It appeared in New Left Review 123, and that was called Escalating Plunder. Robert Brenner is also the executive producer of this show, and I want to thank you so much for doing that. Bob, thanks for being with us.
1: Thanks, Susie.
0: Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Susie Wiseman. This is Jacobin Radio. Thanks to producer and director Alan Minsky and to Jacobin Radio's Micah Utrecht. Bhaskar Sunkara is the founder and editor of Jacobin Magazine. And special thanks to Robert Brenner and thanks to you for listening. I'm Susie Wiseman.